Father God, we come before your word this morning in absolute humility. Father, we thank you that these are your words. We pray that as we come, that you would soften our hearts, you'd prepare our hearts, Father God, to hear the truth of your word, King. We thank you for the gift that it is to be in a community which preaches your word um, kind of like you know, unrepentantly, Father God, that we do it. We know that it is your truth, Father. We know that it, 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 within it, it holds the very character of the God of the universe. And I pray, King, that this morning you would draw us close to who you are, that you would show us some of your heart, show us some of what it means to be a son, show us some of what it means to be loved by the Father. In your name, amen. So, um, some of you might know a guy called Jonathan Edwards, and um, he is arguably one of the uh, greatest minds that was ever produced out of America. And... Um, not just I say that, it's kind of like an academic um, understanding of who he was and just the power that he brought and the, the, yeah, just the power of his mind. And in a, a sermon entitled The Divine and Supernatural Light, he preached this sermon in uh, Massachusetts in like 1734. And um, he penned one of my favorite quotes, which I want to read for us quickly. He said this, he says, thus there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between, between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. So there's a difference between believing that a person is beautiful and having a sense of his beauty. So as we go forward, I want us to just to remember the, the key line that I always take out of that is like there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. And Edwards, uh, as he kind of delivered this in a sermon, he was actually preaching out of Matthew 16, verse 17. And this is basically Jesus' response to Peter. And if you remember some of the context there, uh, Jesus asks his disciples, you know, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? And then he goes on to, to ask them, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter kind of jumps up and says, you're the Messiah. And in verse 17, Jesus then responds to Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Edwards kind of in the sermon pulls out the, the glorious reality of the divine work of the Spirit in our lives, which doesn't just show us in a rational way who Jesus is, but actually gives us a sense um, of the beauty of Jesus in the way that he reveals, reveals the Messiah to us. So Edwards is saying, hey, look, Peter doesn't just have this kind of rational judgment of who Jesus is, or like he's kind of finally come to the conclusion of an argument of who Jesus is. He, sees, he says, Peter doesn't just know Jesus as the Messiah, um, but through the Spirit, he has a personal experience of the beauty of who the Messiah is and the glory of Jesus. So Peter doesn't just know in a rational sense that honey is sweet. He knows in an experiential way. He's tasted the sweetness of honey on his own taste buds. So this morning, uh, we're actually continuing in a, what we've called a heart series, and this is basically saying, what's on our hearts? What do we feel as preachers in One Hope? What do we feel God has said to us? And what do we feel like God is wanting to say um, to One Hope? And um, 
as I was kind of thinking and praying around this, I actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a different sermon that I wanted to do, and I just felt God kind of leading me more and more towards this. And having conversations with different people in One Hope, I felt like God is wanting to, uh, or urging me to speak about the sweetness of honey, like experience, uh, to speak about the experience of the goodness and sweetness of God. And this is some of what David captures in Psalm 34, you know, where he says, come, come and taste uh, that the Lord is good. And, and what I have in mind here, and hopefully this will become more clear as we kind of continue, is those kind of small yet deeply powerful moments in your life when, you, when you're living as a Christian. You know, you're like up in the morning and you're reading the word and, and God just kind of shows you just the beauty of the truth of what you're reading. Or you're here in worship and you're singing to God and there's this moment when God gives you an experience of the truth that you're declaring to him. It's like reading about the truth of God's love and the Spirit pours that truth into your heart in an experiential way. So I felt in preparing this morning that perhaps there are people here where you kind of feel a little bit dry, you know, like you've been walking with God a long while and you feel a little bit dry or a little bit bland at some of the beauty of the gospel. Like you're reading God's word and it doesn't, it doesn't kind of feel the same as what it used to. It feels a little bit like old news or just words on a paper. And, and we, we know in our minds that God is good. And we know what Jesus did for us was an act of love. But we're struggling to experience, experience the goodness of God or to taste of God's um, love. And I want to encourage you, I've been there many times <laughs> in my walk with God. And I often struggle with this. I often struggle, you know, you're reading of the truth of the beauty of the cross and some, sometimes you read it and you just feel like nothing's happening, you know, like there's no kind of nothing welling up inside of you. So I want to encourage you and at the same time I feel like God's saying to us, we have tasted of his goodness and this morning he wants to say, come, come and taste of my goodness again. So this morning we're going to be uh, digging into Galatians 4 uh, verse 1 to 6. So I want to uh, just ask if you would turn with me there. And I'm really praying that as we do that, that God would enable us to find gold there. And as we look at the, uh, my sermon title this morning is The Sweetness of Sonship. And I'm really praying that as we look at the sweetness of sonship, that God's spirit, even now this morning, will give, a taste, give us a taste of that sonship in our lives. So just before we go there, I want to just start by giving us a little bit of a, what I've called a theology of taste, which is basically like a brief theology of experiential Christianity, like what it means to taste of God. And essentially it is this, that, that the Christian faith is not a merely rational faith. It's not just a faith that's, that's all in our heads, but actually it is deeply experiential and deeply emotional. Psalm 34, 8 to 10 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Or Psalm 42, 1 to 3, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? And, be, and appear before God. 
Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. Or Isaiah 51, verse 11, and the ransomed of the Lord so will turn and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Or Romans 5, verse 5 to 7, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For once would scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So scripture demands that we recognize the importance of the experience of God's love. It demands that we see the importance of tasting of the sweetness of honey, not just knowing in an intellectual sense. God hasn't left us there in just an intellectual sense of knowing that honey should be sweet. He's actually given us uh, an experience of the sweetness of it. So I just want to flag two key ideas here. In this theology of taste, I want to flag two things for us quickly. And the first one is taste is always founded in truth. An experience of God, a personal experience of God is always founded in an objective truth of God. The taste or the experience that we have does not sit outside or somehow above the truth of God's word. It's, it's, it's not biblical when people say, I know you understand God or you experience God that way, but I don't experience God that way. That isn't a, that isn't a biblically true experience of God. Experiences of God are always founded in the truth of God. It's the Holy Spirit applying the truth of God's word and who he is into our lives. So true experiences of God are always founded in the truth of God's word and the work of Christ in our lives. We see this clearly in Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 5, you see a personal experience of God's love. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. And he has the experience because God's love has been poured into our hearts, not proven to our minds, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then in Romans 5, 6 to 8, we see the objective truth that the Holy Spirit is applying in a personal way. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For once would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. And verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Objective truth, God loves us in Christ. Personal experience, the Holy Spirit pours that same love into our hearts that we can experience the objective truth of God's love in a personal way. So firstly, taste is always founded in truth. Secondly, it is a work of God. This taste or this personal experience that we have is not a, a work that we can kind of conjure up of, in and of ourselves. It's a work of God. Romans 5 says that it is that the spirit that pours the love into our hearts. We experience that love because it is a work of, a, of the spirit, not a work we can do. So that's just a brief theology of, ta of taste. Christianity is deeply experiential and these experiences are founded in truth and these experiences are a work of God. Cool, let's go back, uh, Galatians 4, um, if you will, verse 1 to 6, where I'm really wanting to kind of just talk to us about 
the sweetness of sonship. And there are many texts on kind of the experience of God and his love. Um, but as I was preparing for this, I just kind of felt God keep leading me back here, keep leading me back to Galatians 4 and really felt him speak to me personally over the last uh, few weeks in this text. So this is Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians or to the church in Galatia. And basically the gospel had spread um, in that church and the church is established. And soon after this church is established, you get some people who are coming and basically um, like false teachers who are uh, convincing the, the new believers that they need to basically fall back into some of the Jewish practices, some of the Jewish laws, like circumcision, for instance, like trying to tell them like, actually, you know, that's, that's not enough to kind of just live in the freedom of what, you know, Paul's taught you. Actually, you need to add on some circumcision, you need to add on some laws and all these things, causing them to fall back into a type of gospel of law um, or gospel of works. And in that, losing sight of the beauty and the freedom that grace brings. So essentially, Paul writes the book of Galatians to bring them back to the truth of what the gospel means, back to the gospel of grace and away from the distorted gospel. And as in kind of Paul's response, he in a way kind of picks up these three key aspects or portraits um, for us. And the first one is, the first one that he lays out is by faith or works of the law this one key portrait, and that's actually, in a way, the overarching kind of theme of the whole book of Galatians. It is by faith and not by works of the law. The second one is the law and the promise. And the third one is slaves and sons, this portrait of slaves and sons. And in our section here in Galatians 4, we find ourselves in that third portrait, where Paul talks about sonship as opposed to slavery. So let's go to Galatians 4, uh, verse 1 to 6, and read together. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though, is the, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption and, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So in this text, we see this beautiful picture of experiential theology, experiential Christianity, the sweetness of sonship. And I want to just help us see the, the flow of kind of like the theology of Paul, or the way that Paul kind of lays this out for us. You see that he starts with, firstly he starts with the incarnation. He's talking about Jesus, God who became man and was born of a woman. We see that in verse four. So he's laying out this theology for us. Secondly, he says redemption through Christ. We see this in verse five, that because of the sin of humanity, there was a, a redemptive price that was put up. There was a price that needed to be paid for the sin of humanity. And that through the work of Christ on the cross, that price was paid and there's a legal transaction that happens. There's a positional change 
of people who once were slaves and now become sons because of the legal transaction and the requirements of God's holiness had been met. And then the third thing he pulls out, he says, because of that now redemption, you are now sons. You are adopted as sons. And this is the effect of redemption. We are legally sons. And this morning I'm, I'm going to carry on saying sons. And, and what I mean by sons is all those who believe in Jesus. And for me, I think there's, there's a power in sons because Paul actually here and, and, and the context there is that there was an inheritance and there was a blessing that sons kind of, that, that was laid up for sons in that culture that wasn't necessarily laid up for daughters. And what Paul is saying is that all who believe in him are, are, take into that same sonship. They become a son and then are liable or, or deserve or are blessed with all those inheritance that the sons would receive in that time. So essentially Paul is reminding the Galatian Christians um, of their sonship and the sonship that they have through Christ alone. The old way of the slavery um, to the principles of the world has gone and there's a positional change. The position of a son has come. Essentially he's urging them not to fall back into a works-based faith but to embrace, embrace their sonship. And uh, this is stunning, you know, Paul's laying out the theology, the, the objective reality of where they are, of the truth of their sonship. That through the redeeming work of Jesus, they were once children of wrath. Now they're children of God. They're adopted as sons. This is the objective truth of the work of Christ on the cross. There's a positional change. Like, do we believe that, that we are now sons? We have been positionally changed for the rest of eternity, from slaves into sons. And then he goes into verse 6. He says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a son, but a slave. And if a son, then an heir through God. So you see Paul takes like the glorious reality of these first three aspects. And these things become deeply experiential. All the first three, they kind of happen outside of us. They're, they're historic kind of objective truths of what God has done for his children. But this experience, verse 6, this happens in the heart. Not outside of us, not in the head, in the heart. It's, it's, it's an, a spiritual and affectionate experience. Essentially, Paul is saying, you're not only legally sons, but through the Holy Spirit, you have the experience of sonship. And I found this like stunning. This is the beauty of the gospel. You know, we don't just, God doesn't just give us the manual to say, look, read about, you know, how sweet honey is. Learn a lot about how sweet honey is. But actually, he takes us into a position and walks up, welcomes us into, into sonship so that we would experience the sweetness of honey for ourselves. So we don't just receive the position of a son, we receive the love and affection of a father. We don't just have a rational judgment that honey is sweet, we have a sense of its sweetness. We don't just have a rational judgment that God is good, we have a taste of his goodness. We don't just have a rational judgment that we are sons, we have a personal experience of our sonship and of the love of our father. So we don't just know in our heads God is our father and we have been adopted. 
into his family. Paul tells us that God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we would experience sonship. Experience it to the point of crying, Abba, Father. And this is the cry of the heart and not the head. And as I kind of thought about this, um, I was thinking about Elizabeth, my daughter, she's three. And um, when I'm lucky, uh, or every now and again, she'll like come up to me and say, Daddy, I, I love you. Or like, I really missed you today, or something like that. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, she doesn't, you know, she wasn't like playing Duplo somewhere and then found her birth certificate and then realized, oh, snap, like, he's my dad. I better, you know, treat him like my dad now. Or she didn't, like, do a genealogy test to see who her father was and then came to the, con the rational conclusion that I'm her father. She knows she's my daughter because of the experience of the love, care, and protection of a father. And I feel like God is saying that's what he wants for us. He wants us to experience fatherhood in that way. So how does this work? How does the Spirit cause us to cry, Abba, Father? I want to just quickly take us to Romans 8, 14 to 16. And uh, Paul brings like another layer um, when he's talking about the same experience. And Paul wrote Galatians and he wrote Romans. Um, so he's talking about the same thing and he's the same guy with the same understanding. But here he just brings a little bit uh, more insight. So verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So Paul here again is describing that we've received the spirit of adoption and by the Holy Spirit we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. It is the Holy Spirit bearing with our spirit in a way that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit taking possession of a child, taking possession of a child and then giving voice to that child. It is a voice inside our hearts of recognition, of affection, and of joy, and Paul actually, or the, the same term um, was used in Matthew 21, you know, where the, the children kind of like cry out, Hosanna, you know, so when we, when we read this term, crying Abba Father, we can think it's a kind of like a whining or a crying, but actually it's, it's a declaration of joy. It's like saying Hosanna, it's like saying, wow, I am a child of God, crying Abba Father. It's a cry of joy, and, and why, why, does, why does Paul use that, that specific term, Abba? So, I mean, Paul wrote Galatians in Greek, and he could have chosen, the Abba term there is actually Aramaic, so he could have actually chosen to translate the Aramaic term in a similar kind of Greek term that people would understand, but he doesn't do that. And I think the reason that he doesn't do that is because Jesus himself uses that same term in, in uh, Mark 14, 36. And uh, Jesus is, is kind of crying out to his father in desperation. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I, what I will, but what you will. So Paul, in using the same term, you know, word for word from the mouth of Jesus is is saying that we as sons 
are brought into the very same experience of the Son of God, of Jesus. The same way Jesus experiences his Father, we should experience his Father. I mean, that's just incredible. You're not just like kind of like the son who's the ugly duckling and like God just, you know, kind of puts up with you and he's happy that you're there, but don't mess up, otherwise he's going to kick you out. It's like Jesus' own experience of his son, God's experience of his firstborn son is the same experience that we can be brought into as we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's because we've received the same kinship that Jesus, Jesus is the basis for our sonship. And because Jesus relates to God in that way, in our union with him, we can also relate to him in that way. So we cry, Abba, Father. It is the inner voice of the children of God as the Spirit gives us a, a sight of who our Father is. And we taste Christ's very own experience of his Father. Now remember, uh, just the key theme there. So in this, in this picture, in this portrait, Paul's saying you need to choose sonship and over slavery. And kind of the overarching theme is you need to be choosing faith over works. So even as we talk about sonship, that our sonship is actually something that we receive and embrace by faith. And this is what Paul actually tells us a few verses earlier in chapter 3, 26, that we are sons through faith. So we approach sonship by faith, believing what Scripture says, that we are sons of God and this is the way that God relates to us. And this is an experience that we progressively grow in. And I want to kind of just take a moment to encourage some of us. I want to encourage us to come and taste of the goodness of God again. I'm sure there are people here who are on very differing spectrums of your own experience of who God is. And I want to encourage you, come. Come and taste of your Father again. The experience varies from time to time. I've had it in my life. Sometimes you feel dry. Sometimes you feel like you're just in the very presence of God. And this experience also varies from person to person. So I want to encourage you, don't feel inadequate of your own experience of God and feel like, wow, look at what that person's having and the experience that they have. My faith must not be real or I don't experience God in a true way. No two people have the same walk with God. But I want to encourage you, come and taste again. This experience can be and should be pursued in ever fuller measures. John Piper, um, he says this, he says, God is very patient with believers as they grow up into what their adoption really means. God is very patient with believers as they grow up into what their adoption really means. This is the heart of God is to come and say, embrace sonship. Come to me, come embrace some sonship. Come and see all that I am. Come sit with me, learn my heart, and grow in what it means to be a son. I will help you. You know, God's not like, come figure it out yourself. So come, I'll help you, I'll show you what it means to be a son of mine. So I want to encourage you, if you long for this, if you long for this experience, this is a, this is a very, it's a sign of your sonship. You know, God 
puts the desire in your heart for him. So even if you, you might not be living in it, but if you long for that experience, I want to encourage you. That is a sign of your sonship. So how then do we experience the sonship in ever-increasing degrees in our lives? How do we pursue this in our lives? Not only in a rational sense, but also in an experiential sense. And um, I've kind of called this section like tactics of taste. Like what are some tactics of tasting of the goodness of God? And uh, the overarching thing is, is really just get to know your father. Like get to know what has happened to you. Get to know the beauty and the wonder of your adoption. When I was uh, preparing, well, I hoped to prepare this morning, and um, I was up and I was like kind of praying, like, I hope Elizabeth sleeps in, you know, so I can kind of get some time. And um, then I was in the middle of praying and trying to, like, asking God, like, uh, you know, come and speak to me, come and fool me, come and give me courage. And uh, so anyway, so she woke up and she came downstairs and what happened was then she came and just kind of sat on my lap on the couch and I just kind of held her and I felt kind of like God was saying like that is what I want you to see you, know, you feel like you have to have all these things of like trying to prep and have this right thing here and, and God's saying look at this experience that you have you're a father who loves your daughter dearly and as your daughter comes and you receive her she's experiencing what it means to be a child of yours and I want you to come into that same experience so I felt like God was saying, like, come to me, and he'll embrace us as his father. You know, the love and care that I felt for her in that moment, it wasn't a, a bland, blank, you know, like, sort your stuff out and then come to me. It's like, come as you are. I will show you what the love of a father is. So get to know your father. Get to know what has happened to you. Get to know the beauty and wonder of your adoption. And I want to encourage us, this is something that kind of like ebbs and flows in our lives. I, I don't want to kind of falsely paint a picture of like a Christian high that happens like constantly for the rest of your life. There will be dry seasons. This is something that ebbs and flows in different seasons of our lives. But I want to urge you to come and sit with the Father. And uh, Paul actually, he kind of, he goes on in chapter 4 and he, he paints this beautiful picture. He's saying to the Galatian church, come back. Like you've wandered away from the gospel of grace. You've gone into kind of like a gospel of works and slavery in a way. Come back into the gospel of grace and understand what you've already received. And he goes on to talk about these images of Ishmael and Isaac or Hagar and Sarah. And the one Ishmael who was the son of Hagar was essentially a son of slavery and a son of flesh. But Isaac, the son of Sarah, was a son of freedom and a son of promise. That we, as sons of God, are not kind of like the, 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 the product of human effort. Like if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, is like they see the promise of God before them. They're thinking, how are we going to get there? She's really old. She's barren. Like this is not going to happen. We need to make a plan. We need to do something out of human effort to secure the blessing and the covenant that God has for us. And then you see Ishmael. And God says, no, that wasn't my plan. You know, Ishmael's a child of flesh. I'm going to bring a child of promise, which will be Isaac. And through him, my covenant will go. And through him, blessing will go. So Paul is saying, don't kind of grasp onto the human works. 
grasp onto the miraculous work of God as he is the one who produced Isaac. And then Isaac is, and, and through Isaac, us as his sons. He is the one that secures the covenant and the blessing. Paul is saying we're not the children of Hagar. We aren't the children of flesh or slavery. We are the children of Sarah. Don't fall back into that slavery. Don't fall back into a works-based faith, but rather embrace grace. And um, as I was preparing for this, uh, this week, um, Ollie and I are quite tight, and I uh, message him probably like three times a day <laughs> to say, hey, Rue, what do you think? Um, and he's just, yeah, such a father in the house and super helpful for me and just guiding me in my prep. And he just brought up some stunning kind of like implications of sonship. Like what, is it, what, what are some tactics of taste? It's, it's live in and understand the implications of what it means to be a son. So firstly, as a son, we have a seat at the table. We have intimacy and access with the father. Like, do we believe we have blood-bought access and acceptance with the father? Do we believe that and do we embrace it by faith or do we, like the Galatians, fall back into works? You know, maybe if I just tidy this up, maybe if I do some of these principles, maybe if I do some of these laws, um, we don't, not many people get circumcised these days, but there's other things that we want to try and do to make ourselves seem pure so that we can come before the Father. We should, by faith, go toward the Father with confidence and with joy because of what Jesus has done in securing our sonship. And then secondly, get involved in the family business. Like, be about the business of your father. We are, God, we are part of God's uh, work in shaping our world, you know, in shaping chaos into beauty. And we're also part of God's mission in welcoming other sons into the family of God. And thirdly, know the great blessings and inheritance sons have. Paul, a little bit later in Galatians 4 verse 9 talks about how as we are sons, we are known by God. So he goes on to say, like, you're sons and you're then heirs, and then he says, you're sons and you know God, and he says, no, actually, you're known by God. You know, like the very God of the universe knows you intimately as a son. Know the blessing and inheritance sons have. We are heirs, and as and heirs, as heirs, we are heirs to the inheritance God has for us. As sons and, and the father that we have, our future is full of hope. And as sons, we are close to the father and we can get to know his, his intent, you know, as he moves and works in the world. Essentially, sit at his word and gain a rich biblical understanding of who we are as sons. Embrace the truth of who you are by faith and pray that the Spirit would apply that truth to you experientially. It is through the work of God, it is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can experience that truth in, in, in an experiential way. And this should deeply encourage us. Like as I was preparing this, I was like, wow, God didn't just leave me there with a rational understanding of who he is. I can actually experience that love. I don't just know it, I can actually experience it but it's a work of God, so this should deeply encourage us, but at the same time, it should, it should kind of like throw us on our knees and say, Father, this is not a work I can do. This isn't something I can conjure up to feel loved by you. The Holy Spirit, 
as it says in Romans 5, 5, needs to pour the love of God into our hearts. Can I pray for us? Abba, Father, we thank you that you are good and kind. We thank you, Jesus, that because of your sacrifice, we can be welcomed into the same sonship that you experience. I want to ask, Father, that you'd help us here as we are sons to live in and experience more of our sonship on a day-to-day basis. Father, welcome us in. Help us to see you as a father who picks us up and embraces us, King, not just kind of puts up with us or not just kind of knows we exist and we're one of, one of those, the, the people in the kingdom, but we're sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to experience more and more in our lives the embrace of the Father, the love of the Father the joy and the sweetness and the goodness of being your son, Father. I pray that as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, that may the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God. Father, direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Personal experience, objective truth. Direct our hearts to the love of God and direct our hearts to the truth and the steadfastness of what Jesus has done for us. I pray, King, that you would fill people here who feel dry, who feel um, bland, who maybe even feel abandoned, like they've lost the closeness of you. I thank you that your word tells us that you are our Father, that you are close. You're always near, even if we don't feel like it, you're always near to us. And I want to pray that by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, you would cause them to experience your love in their hearts to experience the sweet taste of honey, to experience the love and joy of what it means to be a son of you, Father. Amen.